Those that have taken my suggestion to read one chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew will have read the history of St. John the Baptist's uh, martyrdom yesterday uh, on, the, on the 14th. It's in the 14th chapter. What we have today is the 11th chapter of St. Matthew. Uh, and if we only pay attention to one Gospel, we might forget uh, because we don't hear a whole lot about St. John the Baptist's background. We don't hear of his history. We just hear of his death in the, the Gospels, uh, most of the Gospels. St. Luke is the only one that gives us a little bit more detail. There we hear, of course, it starts out with Zachariah in the temple, and uh, he and his wife Elizabeth are, are uh, desiring a child, but they don't have one. The angel Gabriel appears and says, your, your, your wife is going to bear a son. And we hear that whole saga. And uh, after the Annunciation, uh, the Annunciation we actually heard on uh, Thursdays, we gathered for the Immaculate Conception, not because it was the uh, conception, of, we celebrated the conception of Jesus, but rather the, the fruits of the conception of the Blessed Mother, stainless, and her ability to give the fiat. They're told that uh, your kinswoman Elizabeth is pregnant, she who is thought to be barren, pregnant these seven, six months. And Mary rushes out, and from there, in the womb, John the Baptist recognizes Jesus and jumps for joy. As Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, this all happens. So John the Baptist, at six months in the womb, recognized his Savior. And his whole life, and especially in the Gospel of St. Luke, we hear this, this child is destined for the rise and fall of many that this child is the one who's going to go before the Lord with power to prepare the way of the Lord. And his whole life, John the Baptist, his whole life is geared towards that. In fact, uh, one could make the point that's why he wears uh, camel's hair and a leather belt. That's why he eats locusts and wild honey. He doesn't have time for the fineries of life. The message, the ministry, the mission he's been given is so important. So he's focused on that mission of preparing the way of the Lord. And he knew who the Lord was. We have to believe that. Now, I said it's kind of anachronistic to think maybe they gathered for Christmas celebrations or whatever. But, you know, were there gatherings that John the Baptist and Jesus would have encountered each other time and again? John the Baptist knew Jesus. And so we have to ask the question, well, why does John do what he does? Why does John the Baptist send two of his disciples to Jesus with a question? Are you the one to come or are we to look for another? Perhaps it's not because John needed to uh, forgot or, or, or had doubt or whatever, but perhaps there's another thing, and we, especially when we read the, God, the Acts of the Apostles, sorry, when we look at the Acts of the Apostles, we hear that there are disciples of John the Baptist who are still practicing a baptism of repentance, a baptism that acknowledges that they are sinners, but not, that, not one that regenerates them, not the sacrament of baptism that we enjoy. They were followers of John the Baptist. And maybe that's why John sends disciples to Jesus, to encourage them, experience for yourself who this man is. This is the one I've been preparing you for, preparing you to receive, 
And now it's time. But that's exactly the other thing. Maybe John is asking our Lord, are you ready? Are you ready to take over because my time is coming to an end? See, he knew what was going to happen. And we hear that, and again, as I said, we hear that in chapter 14, how he's imprisoned by Herod Herod the Tetrarch because he's been criticizing Herod for taking the wife of his brother. He's been criticizing uh, Herod, and Herod doesn't quite know what to do. And so when Herod, Herodias, is, uh, Herod's uh, wife, illegitimate, perhaps, gets the opportunity, she has John put to death. But maybe before that, John is asking our Lord, are you ready? And notice, as the Lord usually does when he's asked a question, he never gives a straight answer. And perhaps if we ever ask Why doesn't the Lord give us a straight answer in our prayer? We have to remember that. He doesn't give a straight answer to too many people, but he does give an answer, and it's an answer we have to ponder. He doesn't give a yes-no, but he does give that sign. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. These are signs, and we hear that in today's first reading, signs of the presence of the Lord. Well, yeah, every once in a while there might be one or two things that might happen. We might see something, but in Jesus' ministry, all these things are happening seemingly at once. That, that God's presence is coming into this world, and it is an answer, yes. Yes, he is the one. Yes, he is ready. Yes, it's time. And it seems that he's giving John the chance to to bow out, to leave. And Jesus continues, of course, and we we hear this, why did you go to the desert? We talked about that last week. Why did you go to the desert? To see something fine? To, 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 To see something insignificant? A reed blowing in the wind? No, you went to see a prophet. And as important as John is, Jesus tells us more important, more blessed, is the one who is in the kingdom of God. That's you and I, by the way. That we're more blessed than John the Baptist because we are in the kingdom of God. And so often in our life, we might look at the signs of God's presence and hopefully we see some of those signs If we don't, it's probably because we are failing to look for them. I've seen many signs. I've seen uh, not quite verifiable, meaning that you could send them to the Vatican, but I've seen things that have been beyond my understanding, beyond what I could have expected. People healed of cancer, and and, uh, I've, I've shared this maybe too frequently, but a young boy who was going blind, that suddenly his sight was restored. I've seen miracles. And these are signs of God's presence. And it reminds me, as I put this together with other portions of the gospel, the the disciples, after they are sent uh, two by two, they come back and they say, even the demons were subject to us. And Jesus says, do not rejoice because you've seen these great things. Rejoice rather because your names are inscribed in heaven. That's where our joy should be. Not what the Lord is doing, but that the Lord is here. The Lord is among us and he's called us. 
He's claimed us. We are members in his kingdom. That's where our joy should be. And this, this weekend, we celebrate Gaudete Sunday. And our, we get that because it's the first word on our entrance antiphon, which we uh, don't profess here or use here. But it's rejoice. The, the undergirding of our life is joy. And so often we, we think that joy is something more than it really is, or something, something less, actually. We, so often we think it's less. That I'm going to have joy if I have this. I'm going to have joy if I have that. I'm going to have joy if, I, if I'm healthy. I'm going to have joy if I'm rich. I'm going to have joy if I have this good car, this fancy house. I'm going to have joy if my family gets along. Well, we, we can keep looking and looking and looking for things that are going to cause us joy. And ultimately, so often, they don't, do they? Because our joy isn't in the, what we have. It isn't in, uh, even as, as our joy isn't in what happens around us. Those that have had the privilege of traveling to impoverished parts of the world might have experienced somebody with joy even though they don't have anything. I, I can remember the joy that I saw in the faces of the people of San Lucas Toleman, or diocese mission. They don't have much. And there we were supposedly helping them when they were helping us, those that were in the groups that I was part of, helping us to understand that joy isn't what we have, but joy is about a relationship with God. That's where joy is. And ultimately, joy is a decision. We can wait around our entire lives, waiting for everything to be perfect, and until then, lacking joy. Or we can say, no matter what the circumstances, I know that the Lord is with me. I know, therefore, there can be joy. So joy seems to be an act of the will as well as loving somebody. That we choose to be joyful. See, and I'm convinced if we look for things to be joy-filled about, we're going to find them. If we look for things to moan about, we're going to find them too. It's a choice of which do we focus on. Do we focus on how the Lord is present? Or do we focus on how things are miserable? I, more and more I'm hearing these things the statistics of our teens, especially. How many of our teens are experiencing depression, anxiety? The, the number of teens that are experiencing, or percentage of teens, I should say, that are experiencing suicidal ideation is increasing. It's just sad. And they live in a world, and we live in a world that tells us, and I had to look it up, it's, eight more years, according to the, the, this particular person. The world is going to be destroyed in 12 years. Well, if the world is going to be destroyed in 12 years, what's the use? And we get caught up in this thing that we're victims by the color of our skin, or either that or we're evil because of the color of our skin. That there, there's things beyond our control. And if that's what we focus on, no wonder why we have no joy. But if we focus on that we are more than the circumstances around us, that we are not victims, rather that we can choose joy. 
because God is with us. What a difference that would make. And our world needs this joy. The world needs us. Because I'm convinced only Christians have true joy. Because we're the only ones that understand our God not only loves us, but he's become one of us to save us. Today in our second reading, we might have the key to finding joy. It's a word that's repeated actually four times. Patience. When we have patience, we know that things are not always going to be as they are now, but rather things are going to change. When we have patience, we understand that the Lord is at work, that he is a just God who's going to make all things right. And perhaps in in that analogy that St. James uses, it's like a farmer who plants a seed and patiently waits. We know the seeds are planted. We know that the Lord is here. We know that the Lord is working. He may not be working in the way in our, our calendar or our, our, uh, our watches. Sometimes it takes time for all things to be prepared. But in the meantime, we have patience. And if we have patience knowing that the Lord is at work, that ought to lead us to true joy. A joy that goes beyond the circumstances. A joy that doesn't ignore the circumstances, but says, I don't have to dictate my emotions based on them. Today is a good day to rejoice. Today is a good day to be joy-filled because our Lord is with us. Our Lord is saving us. That we are greater than John the Baptist because we understand we're called to be members in the kingdom. We're called with patience to have joy.